You guide me with your uh, counsel, and afterward you will take me into your glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart might fall, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell all, tell all of all your deeds. Uh, and then please turn to the page 972 for uh, the second part of reading, Roman verses. Eight, uh, chapter 8, verse 28 to 30. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those who he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. This is the war of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Melody and Diane. It's really great to listen to God's word being read and to uh, spend a few minutes unpacking it and thinking about it together. Uh, two quick announcements before I start. One is we're having dinner afterwards tonight. Did you, did you say that, Joel? So we're having dinner, um, barbecue dinner. So please stick around if you can. That'd be awesome. Um, and uh, in addition to that, Chloe, do you want to wave? This is Chloe. She's uh, a new intern with the Bridge Church, and we'll meet her here at 5.30 in the next couple of weeks. Um, but get to know Chloe. Um, she's going to be here at 5.30 with us. So let's pray. Father, we um, thank you so much for just gathering us together tonight. And it's such a privilege to be gathered together. And we recognize it as your work and as we spend this time together, would you open our hearts to receive your good news? Would you transform us, Father, so that tonight we go out of here, change people, people more conformed in our minds and our hearts and our lives to you and to your plans. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this year, as Joel has said, we're thinking about the theme of goodness, and we have a theme each year at church. Last year, the theme was the year of loving the nations, and everyone was encouraged to choose a nation to pray for throughout the year. This year, we're thinking about goodness. And the word goodness has very Christian origins. Originally, it comes from the word godness in the ancient English language. 
One definition of goodness is the quality of being morally good or virtuous. Another definition is the quality of being good in any of its various senses, excellence, virtue, kindness, benevolence. In recent times, you would have noticed it's very hard to miss the fact that there are so many scandals in the world, in organisations, institutions, even churches. And it seems like we're only just another week away from another one breaking, doesn't it? And sometimes we can ask ourselves, isn't there any goodness anywhere? Is everyone just a, a, a fake? Is everyone just corrupt and inconsistent? It's traumatic, it's devastating, it's awful, it's damaging, it's horrible when we hear about those scandals. But it's not surprising, is it? It's not surprising. So it's worthwhile for us to think about goodness as a church for a year. And we're going to be looking at different books of the Bible uh, together throughout the year. But here's one thing that would really not be worth doing this year as we think about this theme. It would really not be worth doing it if it makes us look at ourselves and say, well, aren't we a great church? Aren't we a good church? Aren't we good people? Aren't I a good person? Isn't it great that we're not like everyone else, that we're so good? Now, if it's an opportunity this year for us to grow in pride and thinking highly of ourselves and thinking that we've got it together when other people don't, that would be a real waste of everyone's time. But if it's an opportunity to grow in appreciating God's goodness and how good he's been to us and therefore how we can imitate that as we live our lives as Christians, then that would be a worthwhile thing to do. Let me give a little spoiler verse from the Titus sermon series, which is coming up as our next series. It says this in chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Eager to do what is good. So today I want to think about three things together. I want to think about believing in God's goodness. I want to think about receiving God's goodness. And then I want to think about releasing God's goodness. So let's think first about believing in God's goodness. As Christians, we don't believe we're good. That's not the point of Christianity. It teaches us, first and foremost, that God is good. Someone came to Jesus and said, good teacher. And he said, no one is good but God alone. And in fact, by comparison with God, we are very average. That's putting it nicely. We get it wrong, we mess up, we sin against God, against each other. 
We make mistakes, we're self-centered. But when we look up to God, we find someone who is so unlike us in every way. And it doesn't matter what angle you look at God from or which part of his character or his deeds or his actions or everything that he's done. It doesn't matter where you look into him. You can't find any inconsistencies. It doesn't matter how hard you try. You can put him under the microscope and you won't find anything. I don't know if you've ever cut a piece of fruit and you just look at it and it's perfect. I had that the other day with a watermelon. Just cut a piece and every, it didn't matter which side or angle you looked at it, it was perfect. And it doesn't happen very often. But sometimes that happens. And that is what God's like. No blemishes at all. No problems. And that's what we see in this story with Moses at the tent of meeting in Exodus 33. God said he will not accompany Israel and Moses on, into the promised land. And he says it's because they're stiff-necked. That's the reason. Which means stubborn. It means arrogant. It means unteachable. It means they just will not learn. And God says, that's it. I'm not going with you. You can forget it. But then Moses and the Lord meet together in this tent of meeting and they have a conversation. And Moses is standing in between God and the nation of Israel as a mediator. He's pleading their case with God. He's foreshadowing what Jesus is going to do. Millennia later, he's showing what Jesus has come to do, which is to stand between God and people and reconcile the two parties that are enemies. So Moses stands there and they talk and he speaks to God. Let's see what he says, Exodus 33 verse 12. If you've got that passage open there on page 77, if you've got that church Bible. You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favour with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so that I may know you and continue to find favour with you. Remember that this nation is your people. Can you imagine mediating between God and people? Sometimes when humans have mediation between each other, you find that both parties have actually got fault. It's not always the case. Sometimes when there's abuse, things like that, it's not that both people are at fault. One person's at fault, but often the case in a mediation is that both people are at fault. And so you can point out to people, okay, well, you own your faults and you own yours and maybe you can reconcile. But it's not like Moses can do that with God. He can't say, God, just remember that you've made mistakes as well. That would be blasphemous. No, Moses, what he does is he pleads back to God with God's words. He says, remember what you said, God. Remember that you said you would go with us. And he pleads on the basis that God is not going to lie. God's character is consistent. And what he says he will do. 
and what he commits himself to, he will follow through with. It's a bit like kids saying to their parents, you said you would buy me a lolly if I did the right thing. And the parent says, yeah, I did say that in a moment of weakness or something like that. But Moses pleads with God on the basis of his promise. And God chooses to reveal himself to Moses. He reassures him by showing a glimpse of the back of his glory. Not a direct view of his glory, not his face, but just like the back of his glory. And notice how God reveals his glory. See verse 19. The Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Moses, like us, he can't see God face to face because he'd just burn up because he's in the presence of a holy God. And so God has to pass by and Moses can just see a glimpse. And what does he see? He sees God's goodness, God's character, God's mercy, God's compassion. I think sometimes as Christians we feel a bit short-changed. We feel like we miss out on what these people in the Bible experienced. We, we think, if only I had an, a mountaintop experience with God like some of these people in the Bible, if only I saw a miracle, then I would have a real solid faith. But the answer here is, look at God's character. If you look at God's character, you're glimpsing his glory. And as you see God's goodness, like Moses, you're glimpsing the glory of God and you'll be changed by that. The Bible doesn't present to us a moral monster. That's not who God is. The Bible does not present to us either a moral pushover. The Bible presents to us the God of goodness and mercy. Yes, he sees sin. He sees evil. But he shows mercy. He passes over judgment for his people and he shows compassion. Today, our culture has two pretty extreme views on how to deal with problems. On the one hand, there's like a relativism which just says there is no evil. Everything can be explained and there's no such thing as evil. And on the other hand, our culture will say, let's just cancel these people who've done the wrong thing. But God does not have either of those extremes. God is a God of mercy and compassion, a God of goodness. Notice in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, notice this description of Jesus. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. That moment that Moses had with God in the tent of meeting was a big moment in history, but the biggest moment God had with the world is when he sent his son. That is God's big moment with humanity. And what does Jesus show as he comes? He is the exact representation of God God's glory. And 
What does he do in his earthly mission? It's summed up as he provided purification for sins and then he sat down back in heaven. The one thing God's son came to do is to sort out our biggest problem, our sin, out of his goodness. That is God's glory on display, God's compassion, God's mercy on display in the coming of Jesus. So the first point for us tonight is pretty simple. It's believe in God's goodness. Believe in it. Know about it. Understand it. Dig into it. Trust it. Believe it. Secondly, we we need to actually receive it. We can't just believe in God's goodness as an abstract thing, like something to write essays about. We need to receive it because God intends to give us his goodness and he does give us his goodness. Let me give you an example. I believe hospitals are good. I'm 100% on board with hospitals. I think our tax money should go to hospitals. I think it's one of the best things to um, give our tax money to. Uh, But this week, as I took my daughter to the emergency room at the hospital, we got to receive the goodness of the hospital as they released her finger that had gotten stuck in a plastic basket. God's goodness is not just a theory. It comes to us. In Psalm 23, verse 6, God's goodness chases after his people. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God's goodness means that he hears his people's prayers. Answer me, Lord, out of the goodness of your love. In your great mercy, turn to me. That's Psalm 69, verse 16. In his goodness, God helps us to protect his own name. Psalm 109, verse 21. But you, sovereign Lord, help me for your name's sake. Out of the goodness of your love, deliver me. And our whole salvation in Christ comes out of God's goodness. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So here's some questions for you if you believe and trust in Jesus. Do you appreciate that God didn't save you begrudgingly but he saved you out of his goodness have you realised that when you pray you're praying to a God who is profoundly good and wants the best for you do you see that God's bounty of goodness can just be seen all around us in the gifts of life as you open your cupboard at home and it's stacked full of food as you wear clothing here tonight, as you, uh, there's a roof over our heads and there's a roof over your head. And in the 
character that God's grown in you and the gifts that he's given to you and in the joys of community and the comforts of life and the friendships that you have and the art and creativity and the music that you get to enjoy and the sport that you get to play and the pet that you get to walk. Do you appreciate that nothing God does is evil or or is tainted by evil in any way? And do you know that you can rely on God to be good today and tomorrow and for the rest of your life because he's proven that he is good to you by sending his son for you? Now I want to make a brief point here to anyone who's going through hardship at the moment because as I say all of that it might not feel like God is being good to you I have a kids book at home written by a guy who used to be a pastor in Sydney he's now a theological lecturer in America his name is Johnny Gibson and the book's called The Moon is Always Round and it's a book that he wrote when his, uh, when he and his wife lost a newborn baby. And he wrote this book to explain to his son, who was alive, how, what had happened and how God could be involved in, in their lives at this point. And the analogy is that the moon's always round that it doesn't matter if you can see just a slither of it or even if you can't see it at all, that the moon is always round. And no matter what day it is, no matter what season you're going through, it's still true that the moon is round, no matter what you can see. And it's the same in your life, that even if you can't see it, and even if God's goodness to you just seems like a slither, or maybe it's invisible, that he's still good. So the second point today is also simple point. It's, it's let's not let that phrase, God is good, just be something that we throw around, but let it be something that we believe because we've received from God his goodness and we've given thanks to him for his goodness. The last thing today is that we need to release God's goodness. And I hope that's not um, obscure, but I'm trying to make the points rhyme so that we can remember them. Believe, receive, release. And someone's going to say, that doesn't rhyme. But the point here is, having received God's goodness, we now need to imitate him. We now need to show off his goodness to the world in what we say as we share the gospel and tell people the good news of Jesus and as we live lives in response to God's goodness. So a couple more verses for us to read. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling. And that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. So if you have a desire for goodness and you want it to turn into good actions and good fruit, then pray about it. 
Ask God to turn that desire and make it fruitful. That's what Paul is doing for this church here in the first century. It's a great thing to pray. The second reading here, 2 Peter 1 verse 3, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these things he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. Did you notice that phrase? Make every effort, every effort. You can imagine the coach saying that to the person doing laps around the oval. Saying, you're doing well, your pace is good, your technique's good. Keep going. Make every effort to to get the time that you're looking for. And the Apostle Peter here is like a coach to Christians saying, make every effort to keep going. Don't let your faith in Christ be fruitless. Keep adding the good things to it. Keep adding goodness to your faith. Sometimes as reformed Christians, as people who know that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, Sometimes we're too happy for not worrying about doing good works as Christians. Our faith comes alone when we're saved. It is faith alone that saves, nothing else. Faith in Christ alone is what saves. You cannot dress it up with anything else. At the foot of the cross, Jesus has Nothing. He, he wants you to come with nothing except faith in him. That is what saves. But faith isn't meant to stay alone. Faith produces works in our lives. Faith, faith is, is something that we're meant to add to. It is naked. It's naked faith at the cross as we come and be saved. But it's not meant to stay naked. We're supposed to add to it. Put some layers on it. 1 Peter 1 talks about adding goodness and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and mutual affection and love. So when I think of goodness, I think of Christians who have done that, who've added to their faith good things, good lives. There's Jason who every Thursday night he would go down to the local Westfields at the late night shopping and he would speak to people about what God had done in his life. He'd tell his testimony to people. He would share about God's grace. He'd say, did you know you can have a relationship with God? Uh, It's free. Jesus has paid the price. You just need to trust in him and you can come and know God. He'd go down to the shops and have conversation after conversation, week after week, Thursday night, late night shopping, I'd get an email from him the next day saying, could you please pray for these 12 people I shared my faith with last night? When I think about goodness, I think about Anne, who used her tutoring skills to help someone who was disadvantaged in the church community. 
when I think of goodness, I think of Steve, who used his early retirement to get to know God better, to get to understand God better, committed to reading the Bible in a year, getting recommendations for sermons and lectures and things to help him to get to know God. When I think of goodness, I think of Luna. She and her husband saw that there was a young guy in the church who was volunteering, giving up a lot of time to serve the kingdom, and they bought him a laptop because he wasn't able to afford that for himself. What about for you? What could it be this year? There are likely people in your life who no one else, no other Christian is able to reach. But God's put them in your life. How could you do good to those people this year? What unique situation, what gifts has God given to you that you might use this year in those people's lives? Maybe you have a skill that you could lend to someone. Maybe you work in some sort of business and you could use it for furthering good. Maybe you have money that you could use to do good. Maybe God's given you particular gifts in prayerfulness and wisdom and counselling and you could take someone under your wing and pray with them and help them through a crisis. Maybe you could sit down and walk someone through a book of the Bible because they're new to reading it. Maybe you could be the one to take your friend for a coffee and just find out what's going on in their life and share your faith. Maybe you could befriend someone lonely in this church community and love them this year. For many of you, it's to keep going with all the good things you're already doing. I love when I look out across this congregation. I'm already seeing so many people doing good for each other. I hear about you guys catching up and and calling each other and things like that and keep doing it. We're called to have this new eagerness and how might that eagerness grow this year amongst us and bear more fruit amongst us so that having known our good God who sent his son to provide purification for sins and having received the life and the salvation that's in him, we've now received his grace and we've been changed by that. And how might that show itself in our lives this year? Let's pray. Father, we give you great thanks for our Lord Jesus. We thank you that he is the one who reveals you to us, that he reveals your goodness to us, your grace, your mercy, your compassion to us. Father, we thank you that in him we have a relationship with you now and that we know you as the good God And we pray that you would change us from inside out this year. That in everything that we do, we might be a new people. 
giving ourselves to the good works that you have prepared in advance for us to walk in. And we pray that you'd inspire each one of us with ways to do good and to be fruitful with the grace that you've shown us. And we just ask this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.